Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. We pray now that you would feed us by your word, that our spirits, our souls would be nourished as we come to you. By your spirit, would you be at work to take this word and plant it in our hearts and put it to work in our lives that we might bring glory to our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, this is a bit different, isn't it? It's very exciting. Um, Let me just say two things firstly. Um, First, please do uh, continue to eat and drink um, while I'm speaking. That's fine. Uh, Yeah, get on with it. That's great. Um, And secondly, let me assure you, um, this sermon is in two parts. So you've only got half of it before we eat our main course. All right, so don't worry. Um, We're not going to be here uh, for the whole sermon before we eat again. Great. Well, now you're all slightly more at ease, I hope. On the 21st of October, 1805, Admiral Nelson won one of the most famous naval battles in British history, the Battle of Trafalgar. It would cost Nelson his life, uh, but it was an astonishing victory. The British fleet had been hastily assembled and it was smaller than the the combined French and Spanish navy that they faced. But Nelson's innovative tactics and the initiative of his captains proved decisive. But what is remarkable is that during the battle, Nelson gave no orders to the ships under his command. That's right, not one. At 11.48 that morning, he had ordered his signalman to to raise the flags for his now famous rallying cry, England expects that every man will do his duty. Then 20 minutes later, he gave one further short instruction to engage the enemy. And then, silence. Nothing more for the next five or so hours. And yet each captain knew what he was to do. Each sailor knew what Nelson wanted. They knew the tactics and the approach. They knew the plan. And they knew how to respond if things weren't unfolding as expected. You see, the key was Nelson's preparation. In the weeks leading up to the battle, he'd taken time to get to know his captains, to come alongside them, to build trust between them. It was almost unheard of in those days for a a commander-in-chief to take such a, a relational and personal approach. Twice in the days before Trafalgar, Nelson hosted all of his captains for dinner on board his own ship, HMS Victory. As they shared food together, they got to know their leader, his character, his, his attitude, his way of seeing the world. And they got to hear his plans his strategy for the battle ahead. And as they grew in understanding, so he grew in confidence in them, that they could be trusted to enter into the fray and fight in the way that Nelson wanted them to, according to the playbook that he had devised. As they gathered over those meals around the admiral's table, so those captains were equipped for what lay ahead as they were shaped and moulded into the very likeness of their leader. That was what won them that battle. 
And friends, this evening, as we gather around tables, around this meal, we have an opportunity to enjoy a far greater privilege than those naval captains. Because as we share bread and wine later on, as we share the communion meal, we are being shaped into the likeness of one far greater than Admiral Nelson. We are being prepared and equipped for a task far more noble than fighting Napoleon. We are gathering not at the Admiral's table, but at the table of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour, Lord and King. And to help us to understand what's happening as we do that, we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at the account of the first communion meal, what we know as Christ's last supper. I wonder if you noticed, as we heard Luke's account read to us a moment ago, I wonder if you noticed the setting. Verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. It was no accident that Jesus instituted this meal on the day of the Passover meal. Indeed, he said later in verse 15, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The Lord's Supper, the, the act of sharing communion, of sharing bread and wine, it is rooted in the history of the people of God. It is rooted in the events of the exodus, of, of the Passover meal. We don't have time to dig into all of the significance of that now, but you can listen again to the sermon on that Passover meal from a few weeks ago if you want to flesh that out a bit. But for now, we need to note here that, that the Lord's Supper, the communion meal, is to be from its very inception an act of remembrance. Pointing the disciples and all of us, pointing us back to the Passover, back to God's great act of deliverance for his Old Testament people. As Jesus gathers his disciples around that table in an upper room in Jerusalem, he wants them to be thinking of the Passover, calling to mind the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, remembering the, the Lord's mighty and, and powerful salvation of his people from slavery in Egypt. Jesus is deliberately asking his disciples and us to make those links between that act of salvation and the new and, and better salvation that he himself is about to bring. Because, of course, the, the communion meal is also an act of remembrance for Christ's own sacrifice. His giving of his own body and blood at the cross, which was to follow just a, a few short hours after the meal in this account. Indeed, Jesus institutes this simple meal as a lasting ordinance for his people with the words we read in verse 19. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. You see, it is the Lord's intention that, just like the Passover meal, this communion meal is to become a regular reminder for his people an act that has been handed down from generation to generation of disciples through the centuries. 
An act that is repeated all over this world week by week as believers meet in his name. Now, the exact mechanics of of how we share communion may well differ from age to age and from culture to culture. But is it not astonishing to think that a 4th century North African bishop, a 16th century European theologian, and a 21st century believer from Latin America, all of them, and every other Christian believer in history, would recognize the sharing of bread and wine as a central part of our gathered worship. As a God-given, Christ-ordained means of remembering the gospel, of remembering his sacrifice on our behalf. The communion meal runs through the history of God's church, tying together believers from every age and every part of the world. And notice, too, that it is to be an enacted meal of remembrance. Communion is something that we do. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Not think this or or say this or assent to this. No, he says, do. It's been a feature of this sermon series that we have seen how our God is at work in and through the physical creation that he has placed us in. And it seems fitting that our Saviour, the one who put on flesh in order to come to our rescue, the one whose salvation was was wrought through his very real, very physical death upon the cross, it seems fitting that that Saviour should give us a physical, tangible reminder of his work for us. Yes, we, we have the Scriptures And we have our songs and we have the creeds by which we may be reminded of his love for us. But we also have the communion meal, a visible, touchable, smellable, tasteable. Microsoft Word tells me neither of those last two are actual words. (laughs) But a tangible reminder. And friends, that is precious to us, isn't it? Because we are are physical beings. We do live in a physical world. And and so often our experience of faith is intangible. We cannot see Jesus. We cannot touch him. We hear him, but, but most often only through his written word. And so what a gift of our generous Lord in his kindness to give us this physical reminder that we might gather regularly at his table and taste and see, really taste and see that he is good. We've seen, haven't we, that uh, it is a wonderful kindness to us to have been given the communion meal, that we might have a, a physical reminder of all that Christ has done, of all that he has given for us. But I want us to see as well this evening that that as we share bread and wine together in a moment, uh, what we're doing is more than simply a reminder. Just uh, look again at Jesus' words at the Last Supper, Luke 22, verse 19. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. I wonder, do you see? The bread and the wine, they are gifts and they are reminders, but they are not merely reminders. There is a sense in which the bread and wine are themselves the new covenant that Jesus has inaugurated by his death and resurrection. And what do I mean by that? Well, let me first be clear about what I do not mean. I do not mean that the bread and the wine are somehow transformed into the actual physical body and blood of Jesus Christ. That's the Roman Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation. And it runs contrary to Scripture's assertion that Christ's death on the cross was a once-for-all completed sacrifice that need not be repeated as the sacrifices of sheep and goats in the Old Testament were. Christ's sacrifice was sufficient and final. But friends, it does mean that as we gather at the communion table, Jesus Christ is present with us, really present through his spirit as we share bread and wine. The communion meal is an act of Christ's presence with us. Just as Nelson's captains were stirred and encouraged by meeting with the admiral, so as we come to the communion table, we may recognize that here we really meet our Lord and Saviour. Tim Chester has written a wonderfully helpful book, Truth We Can Touch, which speaks into this reality. And he puts it like this. As we gather for communion, so the host is not on the table, but at the table. It is, after all, the Lord's table. For Jesus is present by the Holy Spirit, and he invites us to eat with him as an act of friendship and a sign of love. Now that raises this simple meal to a whole new significance. It is an act of remembrance, yes, but it is also an act of presence of Jesus Christ in his grace and mercy, coming to be with his people, coming to enact the new covenant, the new covenant that enables a direct relationship between God and his people through his spirit. As we come to communion, this meal is the new covenant. As we come into the presence of our Lord and Saviour, as he serves us by drawing near and as he binds us together as one, as we share in bread and wine. And as that that bread and wine goes into our mouths and down into our stomach, as we are physically fed, so too we are reminded of our intimate spiritual union with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that he is right now living within us by his Spirit so that we are all one in Christ Jesus. Friends, that's certainly how the early church understood what was going on. Paul, writing in 1 Corinthians 10, describes it like this. He says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share in the one loaf. That's where the word communion comes from. From Christ's desire to to be together with his people in this simple meal. Tim Chester again. I find this a really helpful way to think about what is taking place. When the plate or the bread is put in your hands, think quietly. Jesus himself is giving me this bread. He is the host of this meal. This is his gift. This is a sign of his love. This is his embrace. Using the hands of the person serving you, Christ passes the bread and wine to you because he wants to have communion with you and because he wants to reassure you of his love. He offers you an invitation to taste and see that he is good. Isn't that a wonderful invitation? How much more exciting than than eating at the admiral's table? Here we get to eat at the Lord's table. Why? Because he wants us here. And so, friends, I wonder if you've ever known that quandary of of how to feel about communion. I feel it every time I stand up here and and lead us in the Lord's Supper. Is this a a solemn and somber occasion? Or is it a place of, of joyful celebration? Well, yes. It's both. And it always will be. As we eat and drink bread and wine, we are remembering the great cost that our Saviour paid on our behalf. His body torn and beaten, his blood poured out. But we are also enjoying the fruits of his labour. That we are now able to gather at his table as his redeemed and forgiven people, indwelt by his Holy Spirit. Oh, what a wonderful truth. And what's more, as we gather, so we are being made like him. You see, for for Nelson's captains, the, the content of his plans was important. But even more significant was the time they got to spend with the great man himself. Getting to know him. Getting an insight into what made him tick. How his instincts would lead him in battle. And so too, as we come to Christ's table. As we commune with him. I wonder, did you notice how much of the the passage in Luke's gospel was taken up with, with Christ's instructions for the preparations for the meal? With his serving of his disciples. 
In John's account of the Last Supper, the meal doesn't even get going until Jesus has knelt down and washed the feet of each of his disciples. As we come to the communion table, Jesus is giving us himself. He is serving us. And he is shaping us into his likeness. Tim Chester once more. Communion is an expression of the ongoing two-way relationship that we have with Christ because we have been united with him by grace. We do not simply receive truth about Christ. We receive Christ himself. And in receiving Christ, we receive all the treasures that are found in him. (coughs) Our friends, this meal, it is simple. It is small, I know. But it is hugely significant. As we eat bread and wine, we remember Christ's sacrifice. His supreme act of of self-giving service for us, his people. And as we eat and drink too, we, we are joined with him by his spirit. We celebrate the new life that we have in him. One with our saviour and one with each other because of his great work of reconciliation. And as we eat and drink, we also look forward to the day when our faith will be sight. When we will sit at the table of the king. And we will know what it is to be in his presence physically as well as spiritually. When we will enjoy a feast of of rich food for all peoples. A banquet of aged wine. The best of meats and the finest of wine. And so as we share communion in just a moment, as you serve one another bread and wine around your tables, take a moment to recognize what you are doing, what is going on. As you eat that that little morsel of bread, and as you drink that sip of wine, remember your Savior, his body given for you, his blood poured out for your forgiveness. And rejoice in his presence with you, by his spirit living within you, binding you to your brothers and sisters here, shaping you into his likeness. And friends, revel. Revel in the glory yet to come. When we will see him as he is, When he will will dwell with us, not only by his spirit, but physically in the new creation. Where he will dwell with us, where we will be his people, and where God himself will be with us and be our God. All that in a little bit of bread and wine. What a generous gift from our Savior. Let's pray. And then we'll share communion together. Let's pray. Oh, generous God, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. So often our our experience of you is, is intangible. 
And yet in your kindness, through your son, you have given us this meal that we might really taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, Father, as we gather around this table, as your Son, Jesus Christ, hosts us here this evening, we pray that we might remember as we should his body and blood given for us, We pray that we might rejoice in what that body and blood have secured for us, that we might now come into his presence, that he might invite us to his table. We pray that as we feast with him, that by your spirit you might be making us into his likeness. And we pray that by your spirit you might plant deep within us that great joy and hope for the future when we will one day sit at your table and know your physical presence with us forevermore. Oh Lord, we pray these things for the glory of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. In his name. Amen.